Hi, good morning, Cornerstone. Hey, we launched a new series last week called Beginnings, and we're doing these messages on location. Last week, Brian was at El Dorado Canyon. And today, just to show you that we will go to any length, in this, in this particular case, it's about 100 miles or so, we're up here at Grand Lake, one of the most scenic spots, scenic little cities and lake in Colorado. And you can see all the beautiful uh, views around me. Uh, it's just amazing. If you've never been up here, it's worth the drive, especially right now to come on up this time of year. Um, in this series, we're going to drill down on several ancient Hebrew words found in the opening chapters of the book of Genesis. And each of these ancient Hebrew words describe really significant themes about the origins of life and the purpose of humanity. The title of this series comes from the very first word found in our Bibles in Genesis 1.1, and that first word in Hebrew is bereshit. Be is the Hebrew prefix that means in the, reshit means beginning, and so bereshit literally means in the beginning. Bereshit is also the actual Hebrew name of the first book of the Bible. Uh, but when the Hebrew uh, Bible was translated into Greek about 100 years before Jesus was born, a close Greek word equivalent, Genesis, was used. And so both Bereshit and Genesis have a kind of this mysterious connotation, like in the beginning. And of course, we're immediately forced to ponder a mystical question. And the question is, in the beginning of what? In the beginning of what? And the answer to this question is the beginning or the genesis of a physical world and a very, the introduction of a very new concept called time. This new physical world would be under the constant pressure and limits of an ever ticking clock. You see, prior to this moment, the only realm that existed was a spiritual world. A world not limited, not pressured by time. A realm without physical beings or objects. No animals, no, no uh, people, no mountains, no mosquitoes. And this realm is often called heaven in the Bible. It's the place where God resides along with all the celestial beings. The best way to describe this spiritual realm is eternity past. Now, if you can imagine the physical world, the universe, and a continuum above it, if you go this way, you're going to get to eternity past, directly over it, you're at eternity present, and if you continue on, you're in eternity future. And so, let's focus just for a minute on eternity past, that moment just before God creates, when there's yet to be a physical world, only a spiritual world. At some point, think about this, at some point in eternity past, God conceived of a beautiful love story. A story that would play out on the stage, so to speak, or on the set of this new physical world. How long had God been dreaming of this story? Well, since there's no time in eternity, we can't say for sure from our finite human perspective. My guess is that God had been dreaming about this story forever. At some point, God decides to release this epic tale and Genesis 1-1, it's like he's pressing the play button. And so the answer to the question, in the beginning of what, is in the beginning of God's story, in the beginning of his story, of history, right? And in that first moment, just before God begins to create this massive physical stage on which his story would play out, like all great creatives who would follow, God starts with a blank canvas. I love that. You know, since Andrew and I have been 
uh, sequestering at home over the last several weeks, we decided to renovate our master and our guest bedroom in between all my duties at Cornerstone, of course. And we started by stripping everything down to the subfloor, took out all the carpet, took out all the, the, the carpet nail strips, the carpet padding, removed all the baseboards, uh, trashed a 35-year-old toilet that wasn't working well, took all the doors and the hardware off the walls, dismantled the closet shelving, and then we prepped everything for new paint and new flooring. We're talking about a lot of work here. By the time we were done, these two rooms were like blank slates, ready to be created into an incredible masterpiece that Andrew and I had dreamed about long before we began the project. When Brian and I and all the others uh, who preach here at Cornerstone begin to write our messages, we typically create an outline or a roadmap to help us navigate where we want to go. But before we start writing, the page is 100% a blank slate, ready for us to work our Holy Spirit-inspired creativity. But in these two examples, Andrew and I started off with a house and we all started off our messages with a computer or a notebook. Nothing physical existed when God started creating. Nothing. God created this massive physical world ex nihilo, out of nothing. Bereshit bara Elohim. In the beginning, God created. And what did he create? I mean, we're talking here about creating the entire universe. Bereshit bara Elohim et Hashemayim. In the beginning, God created et Hashemayim, the heavens, ve et ha'eretz, and the earth. Try to imagine this very mystical and ethereal moment, if you can. Bereshit bara Elohim et Hashemayim ve ha'eretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it goes on, and the earth was formless and empty. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God was hovering, fluttering. It's literally fluttering over the face of of the waters. This is Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 through 2 and it captures this incredible moment while God is hovering over some kind of soupy primordial cosmic stew. Don't you wish you could have been there? I mean seriously I would have loved to have the front row in that theater. Incredible. It makes IMAX 3D Dolby digital 4K laser technology seem like tin cans with strings between them. Now, it's important to understand that we actually have two creation accounts in the book of Genesis. The first creation account takes place in Genesis chapter 1, and the second account takes place in Genesis chapter 2. The first creation account in Genesis chapter 1 focuses on God's power, majestic, creative, artistic expression as he sculpts the entire physical world into existence, existence with only his words. Can you imagine that? Wouldn't that be, have, be a nice tool to have in your toolkit? Doce tacos al pastor, por favor. Woo! Una Lamborghini rosa, per favore. I would love to be able to speak those things into existence. The second creation account 
in chapter in Genesis chapter 2 focuses on God's purpose and design for humanity as he forms what will be lonely Adam out of the dust of the earth and then he creates Adam's lifelong companion Eve out of his side and from this point on love and acceptance and meaning and purpose will only be found through relationships and community. We're going to look at at these two very different creation accounts and the key ancient Hebrew words that are within them and like a citrus reamer, you know, where you, you, you ream the citrus out, extracting as much juice as possible. We're going to do that in order to strengthen and deepen our faith in God. Today's message is titled, In the Beginning God Created. We're going to extract as much as we can out of the ancient Hebrew word for create, which in Hebrew is pronounced bara, bereshit, bara, Elohim, literally in the beginning God created. But in English, uh, it actually it's in the beginning created God. That's how it is in the word order. But we clean it up in English to say in the beginning God created. A form of the word bara is used, bara is, is used 54 times in the Hebrew Bible. And bara is spelled with three Hebrew letters, bet, resh, aleph. For those of you that know something about Hebrew, and most of the time when bara is used, the creating is being done by God. And it typically refers back to the animate and inanimate objects that God created in the universe. Objects like mankind, animals, mountains, trees, the weather, light and darkness, the heavens and the earth. But there's a few places where the form of the word bara seems at first glance to be very disconnected to the word create. And I want to show you a couple examples of them because when we understand how they actually do connect, it opens up a pretty cool picture of God's vision and purpose for our lives here on earth in the true context of how we are to create a reflection of God's character in this world. The first example is found in Joshua chapter 17, verse 15. Here's what it says. If you are so numerous, Joshua answered, and if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, go up to the forest and clear land for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites and the Raphaites. And so in this passage, the words translated clear land for yourselves comes from a form of the ancient word today, bara. Joseph's descendants were complaining to Joshua that the portion of land that was allotted to them is way too small for the size of their clan. Joshua says, well, that's an easy fix. Just go into the forest, cut down some trees. You'll have plenty of room for everyone. And what I want you to see here is that the purpose for clearing out the trees in this land is to create enough space so that it can be filled up with Joseph's descendants. Can you see that? Okay, here's a second one. The second example comes from 1 Samuel 2.29, and it says, Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribe for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel. And so in this passage, God sent someone to confront Eli, the high priest, because he and his sons were abusing their role as, as the temple priest by eating the choicest portions of the sacrifice brought to the temple. In this passage, the word fattening yourselves also comes from a form of bara. And in the context of this passage, it conveys, conveys the idea of filling something up that is empty. And in this case, it's their stomachs right? So that a different version of themselves can be created. And in this case, it's a fatter version 
of themselves. Now here's an interesting side note to mention. Uh, the form of the word bara, which is pronounced bari here in this passage, most often is translated in your Bible as healthy, not fat. And in fact, the modern Hebrew word today for the word healthy is bari. And so if you say to someone in Hebrew, you're saying, hey, let's go eat some healthy food. Bara, create, bari, healthy. Can you hear how they're related to each other? But how, how they're related to each other, but how does the Hebrew word for create relate to the Hebrew word for healthy? Well, back in ancient Eastern cultures, a plump person was considered to be affluent and attractive because you had to be well off in order to eat a lot of food. And so you would call a person like this healthy. Not because they ate all organic, sustainable diets, but because they were large. We even sometimes use this word healthy uh, in our English language. Like when we see a, 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 a huge football player on the field, we might say, hey, that is one healthy boy out there. And so don't visualize in your mind Eli and his sons as necessarily being obese. Visualize them as having some meat on their bones rather than being skin and bones. And what I want you to see is that in both these passages, there's a clear connection that something is empty, but it's going to be filled up. In Joseph's case, it's the cleared field soon to be filled up with his descendants. In Eli's case, it's in his son's case, it's their empty stomach soon to be filled up with choice food. Does that make sense? You tracking with me? I hope you are, okay? Isaiah um, 45, 18 probably gives us the best visual for how bara, bara means to fill up something that is empty. Here's what it says. For this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, there is no other. Doesn't that give us a, 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 a great picture of something that was previously empty, but is now going to be filled up? And so with that picture in mind, let's transport ourselves back to the opening cosmic scene in Genesis 1, verses 1 through 2, as the Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God, is hovering over something very primordial that's described as being what? Formless and empty. A blank slate that's ready to be filled up. And isn't that exactly what God does next as he fills the universe up with planets and stars and gases and water and land and plants and animals and people. And this includes all the things we can't see in the universe as well, like subatomic quarks and leptons that are beyond our microscopic reach, and even all the stars and the planets and the black holes that are beyond our telescopic reach. With at least 200, listen to this, 200 billion known galaxies in our universe, the number the number of planets that exist is at least 10 to the 24th power. That's one followed by 24 zeros. Okay, just to give you some perspective, the sheer size of that number, a trillion is 12 zeros. Quadrillion is 15 zeros. Quintillion is 18. 16, sextillion is, is 21 zeros. And a septillion is 24 zeros. And many scientists today believe that, 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 that there might be really no 
uh, a number, no end to the galaxy and a, uh, the universe and an infinite number of galaxies out there because we, we can't see an end to this physical world that we're in. Now keep this outrageously ginormous number somehow in perspective. Our planet is just one of at least a septillion of other planets in our universe, which makes this primordial cosmic stew seen in Genesis chapter 1 virtually impossible for our puny, limited, finite minds to imagine. What does this unfathomable size say about the nature and magnitude of the infinite one who created the universe? And maybe this is what David had in mind when he said in Psalm 147, 4 through 5, he says, God determines the number of the stars, and he calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. It ends by saying, his understanding has no limit. And in my mind, the big takeaway here is that when God creates, he goes really big. He shoots for the moon. Literally. He pulls out all the stops to make it happen. He's all in. Now here's the best part of this creation story. When God finished creating on the sixth day, the only thing that existed on the planet were God-made things. Can you imagine that? There's only God-made things. There's no man-made things yet. There's, there's no Empire State Building, no Golden Gate Bridge, no Great Wall in China, no SpaceX rockets, no airplanes, no Star Wars movies, no ski slopes, no iPhones, no Legos, and no Disney World. None of that existed, only God-made things. And oh, how marvelous are those God-made things. This is why we're here today at Grand Lake. 58 majestic 14ers along the Front Range in Colorado. The Great Barrier Reef in Australia. The Northern Lights of the Aurora Borealis. Old Faithful, Niagara Falls, Black Holes, Grizzly Bears, Frogs, and Fireflies. But when God finished creating on the sixth day, he shifted from creating his story to managing his story. That's what he's been doing ever since. And then he handed off the creation baton to us. And he said something to the effect, I've given you all the natural resources you need. This physical world is now your canvas. Let's see what you can create from here on. You see, when God created us, he created us Betzalem Elohim, in the image of God. Betzalem Elohim. Or as I like to say, he created us in his imagination, in the imagination of God. I mean, didn't God create us out of his imagination? But then he put his imagination in us. We're the only species on earth with an imagination. We're the only species on earth that can dream and imagine things different, right? Trust me, uh, your cat isn't sitting around thinking about how to make this world a better place, right? He just wants to catch that bird that's been fluttering around your bird feeder. That's all your cat wants to do. But God put his imagination in us so that we would use our God-given imagination to create a world that reflects his character. A world filled with awe and inspiration intelligence, humor, joy, creativity, beauty, adventure, community. 
all wrapped up in a beautiful bow of justice and mercy and grace and compassion and kindness and respect for everyone. I could spend the next few days giving examples of men and women throughout history who used the natural resources God provided for us to help create a better world that reflects his character. But let me end with just one, and that person is Walt Disney. Walter Elias Disney was an American entrepreneur, animator, writer, voice actor, film producer, and a pioneer in the American animation industry. But first and foremost, he was a man with a strong faith in God. And his faith influenced the big dreams he had as a young man to create animation films and eventually theme parks that reflected the character of God. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that when Walt Disney created, he went really big. He was all in. Disney's animated movies and theme parks, which have touched our hearts for several generations now, all had themes of chasing dreams, never giving up hope, and most of all, of redemption. Stories where things were redeemed. But instead of using overtly Christian language, Disney used language like wishing upon stars and sprinkling fairy dust to capture the hearts and the imagination of his viewers. But make no mistake about it, Walt Disney always had his faith in view. And I want to end by showing you a video compilation that I put together this week of some great Disney stories that have brought inspiration and hope and redemption to us throughout the decades. And it is my hope that this short clip will inspire you to dream big, to be all in, in all of your creative endeavors, to reflect God's character in our world. The creative baton is in your hand. Use it well and use it often. Let's pray. Lord, we just love this place this world that you've created, this playground that we live in. It's majestic. David wrote often in the Psalms about how majestic it was. And so we're thankful, God. We're thankful for this, this, this little picture of your majesty and power and creativity that we see in Genesis chapter one, but we're more grateful for handing off the baton to us and saying, hey, Let's create something that reflects your character. And so I pray, first of all, just as a congregation, that Cornerstone Boulder would be known as a faith community that makes this world a better, more beautiful, more redemptive place. That we would do things that we would do in all of our creative um, ability would reflect your character, particularly your character that you came to earth to redeem us. This is an incredible love story that you wrote. One beautiful, seamless love story from beginning to end. Inspire us, God. Enable us, God, to take this slate that you have given us, this stage that you created, and further it for good. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Wow, thanks, Gene, for that great message in such a beautiful setting. And now we have a couple of announcements for you. The first is our summer, summer Vision Night. As we continue to plan our reopening, we want to invite you to our Summer Vision Night on Thursday, June 4th at 8 p.m. 
Brian will be hosting a webinar to share our vision for the summer and reopening phases. There will also be a question and answer time to address your questions and concerns. All that info, including the Zoom link, will be found on the upcoming events page of our website and app. And then last of all, giving. Because of your generosity, we have been able to make several special donations during this pandemic. Please visit our website for more info on how to set up reoccurring giving or to make a special donation to our COVID-19 giving fund. And as always, we love you all and we send you off with God's blessing, peace, and comfort.